1: Greetings, Buff fans, from See You at the Game. This is Stuart Whitehair, publisher and editor for the See You at the Game website, and now your host for the See You at the Game podcast. As we are now looking to gear up for a Pac-12 fall campaign, please remember to subscribe to this podcast, which is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and other fine sites. You can also find a link to this and other See You at the Game podcasts by going to seeyouatthegame.com. My apologies for those of you who sent in questions for our mailbag. With it appearing for the past month or so that there would be no Pac-12 football this fall, it appeared that mailbags would be our primary format until January. That all changed when the Big Ten announced that it would be playing a fall schedule, with the Pac-12 shortly thereafter announcing its intentions to attempt a fall season as well. With all that has transpired in the past month, Brad and I are going to use this podcast to review how we got here, the Pac-12's role as the Big Ten's little brother, and how all of this affects the University of Colorado in year one, or perhaps it'd be better stated as year zero, of the Carl Durrell era in Boulder. I hope you enjoy our discussion and we'll post your comments, either as a review with your podcast host or on the See with the Game website. It's going to be an interesting fall. Okay, I am joined by one Brad Geiger. How are things for you, Mr. Geiger?
0: Things are well in Highlands Ranch, Colorado. Didn't get my weekly golf round in, so I'm not as prepared for the buffs for life as I might be, but otherwise things are wonderful here.
1: Well, very good, and I think perhaps if I hadn't played today, I would be better prepared for the Buffs for Life Golf Tournament than I have <laughs> been actually playing. So uh, we'll hope that our teammates will carry us at least to something other than not last place. We're going to talk a little bit today about the status of the Pac-12 and the fall of 2020 campaign, which has taken a lot of twists and turns over the past month, to say the least. Let's do a little bit of history here just to get us back up to speed. August 11th, which seems like years ago, which was only just a little over a month ago, the Big Ten voted to call it quits for the fall. And shortly thereafter, almost immediately thereafter, the Pac-12 decided to also call it quits at least until January 1st. And for a time, it appeared that the Pac-12 seemed to be the unified conference, seemed to be the conference that had its act together as the Big Ten was all over the place between its coaches complaining, between parents complaining, between lawsuits being filed. Uh, It looked like the Big Ten was not handling the process as well as the Pac-12. Would you concur at least for the month of August how things went in in the Big Ten and the Pac-12? I would say that's
0: probably true, although... As always, California was driving the bus in the Pac-12, and they had broader issues. And the question was how the still-expanding outbreak there
1: and the state response to that would impact the California school. Yes. So it appeared that we were all set to try and see how things played out into January. The other three Power Five conferences were going to go about their business and perhaps have a college football playoff. And the Big Ten and the Pac-12 were just going to have to sit it out this year and perhaps have a Rose Bowl in March or April and call it good. Because of the lawsuit that was filed, came out that the vote was 11-3 to 3 at the Big Ten not to play. Kevin Warren, the new commissioner, was certainly vilified on several different quarters uh, in the Big Ten and came out about a week later, about 10 days later after the vote, and said that the vote not to play would not be, quote, revisited. And, of course, that lasted a few weeks before they decided to revote. What was your reaction when the Big Ten went from there's no way in hell we're going to play to, uh, yeah, we're going to think about playing again?
0: Well, of course, there were pressures coming from many, many different areas, including literally the White House. I guess what you can say is the development of rapid testing is the technological excuse that the Big Ten had, and probably a reason as well. It certainly changes the dynamic of how you do it. But when we saw that much pressure coming from that many directions, it certainly quickly became clear that something was going to be done in the Big Ten.
1: Yes. And what was your reaction to the idea that the Big Ten would go forward and leave the Pac-12 as the odd man out, as it were? Is that you know just the way it was going to be, or was that something that concerned you as a fan of a Pac-12 team? Well, of course
0: it concerned me. There is legitimate and ongoing concern about the Pac-12 being part of the Power Five to begin with to be left behind from a purely football point of view was probably not an option the Pac-12 could easily take. So when the Big Ten made it clear they were going to play, I think every rational person knew that the Pac-12 was going to work extraordinarily hard to find a reason to play in the fall.
1: And then the politicians, of course, get involved. September 16th, the... Big Ten announces that they are going to go forward with an eight-game season with a potential ninth game where the ones would play the ones for the championship and then the twos would play the twos and the sevens would play the sevens in some sort of a ninth makeup game just to give everybody else an extra game to play. And immediately the Pac-12 apparently woke up um, after already – Signing a contract with the company to have daily testing, apparently that didn't impress anybody to actually try and do something proactive that the PAC-12 started talking about playing. Larry Scott said, well, we'll do it as soon as local health officials and state health officials say it's okay to play, which of course prompted the governor of Oregon and the governor of California to say, that's not our fault. They're perfectly able to play. We don't know what you're talking about which, of course, made Larry Scott look bad. But, of course, at the time that they were saying that, yes, you can play, the restrictions in California were to have no more than 12 players in a cohort practicing at one time. And John Wilner at the San Jose Mercury News, who has covered this better than anybody, had some discussions with an official, local health official, and was saying, well, how is that going to be possible? It's like, well, you don't have to have – all 22 players on the field at the same time. It's like, well, at some point you're going to need to do that. It's like, well, you can have tackling dummies and you can run these drills and it's like you can go against air. And John Wilner rightfully concluded that local health official had no idea how football actually worked, but they're still working on getting around that. And now as we speak here on September 20th, The Pac-12 is going to vote on the 24th as to how they are going to proceed or if they are going to proceed with the season. So as we sit here today, Brad, how do you see this all unfolding? How is this going to play out and whether or not it's the right thing to do?
0: I am convinced that sometime this fall, some Pac-12 teams We'll play football. The problem is the local health authorities in the San Francisco and Los Angeles area. Oregon has made it clear that they'll do whatever they need to do. Washington has as well. Colorado and Utah have already cleared with their respective go. In California, the governor has essentially passed it on to local authorities. It is difficult for me to imagine that despite the ongoing issues in Southern California but USC and UCLA are not going to be able to find a way to make this work. So the question then becomes rather strangely, is it the Pac-12 or Stanford and Berkeley don't play? Um, <laughs> that becomes an extraordinarily interesting question, as we discussed earlier. If the two out teams were Utah and Colorado, the Pac-10 would play. <laughs> yes. But uh, I mean, there is... Too much influence, too much money, too much demand. I suspect there will be,
1: as a matter of fact, I am quite certain there will be games sometime this fall. And how many games would it take? They've really backed themselves up against the wall in terms of the available number of games, especially if there's going to be any realistic participation in the college football playoff. There's only eight weeks to work with and that's assuming that they can play eight games in eight weeks. And if there's been anything we've seen from the first couple of weeks of play across the country is that it is highly unlikely that any team is going to play eight straight weeks this fall, regardless of what conference or what part of the country you're residing in. So it seems like a little bit too little too late in terms of having a national relevance but maybe that's not the the goal here the goal is just to not be completely and wholly irrelevant in the national scheme of things and at least have the players have the opportunity to play have some games and I don't know how they are going to manage it if local health officials and of course this you're talking about the bay area this is the place where of course the 49ers are playing and They seem to be able to do okay, but Cal and Stanford, until this past week, weren't able to have more than two players touch a ball at the same time or in the same sequence. So you couldn't have a practice where the center snapped the ball to the quarterback and he handed it off or threw it to someone else. That would have too many people touching the same football. So they've got a ways to go to kind of clear those hurdles. And I don't know if there can be some consensus as to the Pac-12 moving forward unless there are 12 teams playing or at least giving the opportunity to play. You probably read the story where the – I don't know if it was a strength and conditioning coach. It wasn't the strength and conditioning coach, but it was some coach took a group of CU players hiking and got fined because they weren't wearing masks. Did you happen to, to see that story?
0: than that, the director of football operations for CU took 108 people together to do some hiking in the Boulder open space, violating what, according to local media, was a slew of various regulations in Boulder. The bigger concern there is not just that this was a violation of the rules, it's that this is one of the guys who will be in charge of enforcing what we think are going to be strict regulations to prevent the spread of COVID. And he does not at least publicly appear to be as concerned about that spread as perhaps he should be. I suspect there were probably some interesting discussions between him and the athletic director about the wisdom of public idiocy such as that. Yeah. Um, but again that gets back to the question it's easy for us as football fans to criticize the local health officials in san francisco or los angeles the reality is we have to keep this in perspective perhaps the health officials in san francisco area are dealing with other stuff perhaps they are attempting to manage a outbreak of a pandemic and Their perception of the importance of Cal and Stanford playing football may be somewhat different than that of those of us who do a college football podcast, for example.
1: (laughs) Well, I guess they, you know, that Cal and Stanford need to hire the people that work for the San Francisco 49ers. And I asked them how to get this exemption figured out because it never seemed to be a problem for the NFL or you know, other pro sports to get involved. And, of course, the menu opens up a whole can of worms about these are supposed to be unpaid players and those are professionals and they have other options and things like that. One thing I did want to talk to you about and get your opinion on that there was one source of pushback on playing um, as early as October 31st for the Pac-12 And it was actually from Pac-12 coaches um, who you'd think if they were anywhere somewhat close to being aligned with their Big Ten brethren who have been very outspoken about wanting to play. Bruce Feldman of The Athletic posted an article where he quoted anonymously, of course, but did quote from Pac-12 coaches. And, of course, this is going to have some – unkind words, but um, if you have sensitive ears, you might not want to listen for the next 30 seconds while I read these quotes. One Pac-12 coach said this, and this was just right after the announcement that the Big Ten was going to play and that the Pac-12 was thinking about playing. I don't want to hear health and wellness out of anybody's mouth. The We Are United players, they have a fucking point. It's not fucking ping pong. You don't just open the garage door and go play. I don't think people know that when the seasons were postponed, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 took a completely different pass. They kept like it was still training camp. They kept the same schedule and they were going to play. We didn't. Half our schools couldn't. And another Pac-12 coach said, If you try and rush them back before they've had enough time to get in shape and actually play football, you're saying that health and safety actually don't matter. You're going to have a shit ton of injuries. If the Pac-12 says health and safety is their number one priority and they try to rush teams back, then they're just full of shit. To play football, you actually have to practice football. Forget scheme. Our guys are basically doing combine training, but that doesn't get you ready to play games. So whereas the Big Ten seems to be now in lockstep about going forward, there seems to be some resistance even from the coaches about going forward in the back in the Pac 12 and playing football this fall.
0: I think that reflects you know what we knew were cultural differences between the Pac 12 and, and many of the other conferences and many of the other schools. Um, none of us thought that the Pac 12 generally took football as seriously as the sec so i guess that doesn't surprise a great deal Um, it certainly speaks to coaches having taken the conference seriously when they said not till january 1st we don't know how shortened training camp impacts injuries there is some evidence from the nfl training camp, their lack of preseason may be having an adverse impact on the health of various players. We just don't have a sample size to understand this. So, of course, coaches are worried. Their jobs are literally on the line. I don't think any athletic director or university president is going to lose his job because this has been mishandled, and there is no doubt it has been mishandled. But if a coach goes out and the starting quarterback or half of the line gets hurt and the team looks bad, that may well be a coach's job or some coach's job. So it's not amazing the coaches feel jerked around
1: because they've been jerked around. Yes. Well, does this help or hurt the University of Colorado having a new coach and a team that has... Only recently been able to actually take the practice field. It's only 12 hours a week, but only recently been able to actually put on helmets and have a practice. It's hard to imagine that four-week fall camp is going to put Colorado on an equal footing with some of its Pac-12 brethren. So just putting on my black and gold glasses, it seems like it's going to be difficult for Carl Durrell and his coaching staff to make a quick go of it this fall. Perhaps with the other teams having some of their star players opt out, that will help level the playing field to a degree. I do find it interesting that there's some concern about some California schools perhaps not getting as many practices in what would be September, October fall camp, whereas nobody – seems to mind the fact that Colorado had exactly zero practices for spring, whereas other teams in the Pac-12 had up to half of their spring practices. So, you know, when it's a level playing field, again, it matters more if your team is in the Pacific time zone than, like you were saying, if it was Colorado or Utah that was particularly upside down in testing, they would have zero issue with going forward with a pack eight or a pack 10 schedule and letting Colorado play your three or four games and not really caring about the results. But when it's one of the Bay area schools or one of the LA schools being in a position of having uh, a disadvantage going forward or playing fewer games, then all of a sudden it becomes a conference wide issue. Perhaps that's just my, View of the world from black and gold colored glasses, but it seems to me that, uh, you know, if you're USC Trojans or you have a California base, then what happens to you matters more than what happens to other schools in the conference.
0: And I can understand that position, and from a purely fairness issue, of course it's objectionable. Now, and I hate to say this, but. We didn't expect the Buffs to compete anyway this year, right? We didn't have high expectations for Carl Durrell. Lowering those expectations even farther doesn't hurt Carl. He was going to get next year anyway. He was going to get a couple of years anyway. We knew that this team probably was not ready to compete with the top of the Pac-12. So while I would... You know, like everything to be fair and right playing football is better than not having the team have a chance to get out on the field is better than not and it's not like national commentators are going to say oh Carl Durrell failed in his first year what is the possible reason for that
1: <laughs> yes <laughs> You know, how did Carl Durrell let this talented squad go and 6? Yes. Nope, that's never
0: going to lead any story. Carl Durrell has no, had no few expectations going into this year, and literally none at this point. There is some amount of playing with house money at this point. Every so, win is amazing, every loss is expected. That's not a fun position to be in as a, as a fan, but as a coach, yeah, a first year coach,
1: Not a terrible place to be. No-lose situation, literally a no-lose situation. So, well, what do you suspect will be the end product? Will they be playing October 31st? Will they be playing November 7th? Will it just be six games with maybe five division opponents and one crossover game? Uh, If you were a Pac-12 president-chancellor decision-maker, uh, what would you be voting for uh, going forward when the Pac-12 meets later this week to decide its fate?
0: Well, I'd like to think I would have talked to my athletic director and my football coach. Um, my suspicion is that they will start November 7th, do an abbreviated mostly division, probably six-game tournament, and, um, find a way if there is an undefeated Pac-12 team to allow Oregon FC to play one out of conference or one additional game, and then sit and complain if we don't get to play in whatever a college football playoff looks like. Um, I think there is enough money in the TV contract that they will find a way.
1: Yeah, I think there's going to be some Pac-12 football. And yeah, whether it's a six game, seven game, whether or not whatever their schedule turns out to be, whether or not they'll actually be able to follow through on that uh, is still to be determined in the future. But um, one last thing that has nothing to do with anything other than the fact that I got a kick out of it. The Big Ten did announce its schedule going forward and Nebraska who was one of the you know one of the three teams that voted to play and was loudest about wanting to play their first four games in the original 2020 schedule was Purdue, Central Michigan, South Dakota State and Cincinnati all at home now their first four games are at Ohio State, Wisconsin, at Northwestern, Penn State. So let that be a lesson to Nebraska fans. Be careful what you ask for, for um, you will surely get it. And uh, Scott Frost, in year three, there are going to be expectations for the corn, and he may not be able to live up to them. They were talking about maybe going... 6-0 and or 7-0 to start the season because it was going to be so easy and in a non-conference in the first part of the Big Ten schedule. And now, not so much. So good luck to the Cornhuskers as they try and work their way towards a winning record for a change. Yes, it will be fascinating to see how those
0: players in the lawsuit really feel if they go to Columbus and get pasted 41-10.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> So we'll let that be the the last word. We will talk again soon, and if the Pac-12 devises a schedule for the University of Colorado, then we will get back together again and break it down. And once we have a fall camp schedule, then we can start talking about rosters and unit by unit de- developments, unit by unit battles, position battles. It'll be actual. It'll be fun to actually talk about football. So if that's what the Pac-12 decides to do, then we will be here to cover it. And I appreciate Brad for uh, participating in the podcast. Thank you, sir.
0: Always a pleasure. Take care, Fred.
1: Thank you for listening. With the Pac-12 looking to establish a fall schedule, and with the Buffs looking to get on the field for a fall camp in October, we will soon be able to, for the first time in 10 months, take a deep dive into the SEA roster and position battles. Look for the next podcast to be posted the first week of October, as by then the fall schedule will be in place, assuming the Pac-12 can get its act together and settle upon one. As for the regular season, my thinking at this point would be to have a -a once-a-week review-slash-preview podcast, which would include a look back at the game just played with a preview of the upcoming game. For those of you who have been with the See You at the Game website for the past decade or so, this will be familiar. This will be an audio version of my Wednesday morning tips preview together with my Sunday morning essay. And this should all be posted probably on Tuesday or Wednesday of game week. Your comments and suggestions for this podcast as we work through year one together are always appreciated. My email is game at gmail.com. Until next time, be well and stay safe. Go Buffs! Thank you for
0: listening to our See You at the Game podcast. For links to articles and stories referenced in this podcast, go to seeyouatthegame.com. That's the letter C, the letter U, at thegame.com. If you have comments or suggestions, you can leave them on the website or send an email to See you at the game at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share it with your fellow Buff fans. Until next time, when we will again see you at the game.